This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we want to pick up where we left off last week with verse number 6. But in 1 Peter now, chapter 4, we want to study the Word together again. And we're going to be, let's, let's go back to verse number five, and uh, we'll finish up in verse number six here in just a minute. The word says this, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. All right, so we were talking about the power of the gospel last Wednesday evening. You remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We, we spoke on that a little bit this past Sunday, and we will do it again Sunday after next. The gospel has a way to do radical and dramatical things in our life. And uh, in this particular case, as Peter was preaching, the gospel dramatically changed uh, the hearts and minds of people that had been walking blindly apart uh, from the Lord. And as a result of their faith in Christ, many of them were persecuted in barbaric and unbelievable ways. But I got to thinking a little bit, especially this afternoon when I was going over these notes that I had taken some time ago, and when I read this text again, for this cause was the gospel preached, one of the things that I jotted down in my notes for this evening in the Bible study was, I I'm glad that we know what the Bible teaches about the gospel. I can remember, and the Lord brought this to my mind, I don't think that I would ordinarily just think of it out of the blue, but I can remember I must have been about 15 or 16 years old. And down the street from where we lived, a family had moved in, and uh, they had uh, a son that was about my age. It was four or five kids in the family. And uh, we became acquainted. And uh, I first met this young man uh, in school. And I, I can remember like it was yesterday. I went into the cafeteria, and we were having lunch, and I noticed him sitting all by himself. And I could tell I didn't know him. And uh, he he just seemed to be lonely. And so I left the group that I was in and went over there and sat down with him and struck up a conversation. And in just a short amount of time, he said that his family was a military family and they had just moved in to my neighborhood, to my surprise. I said, well, man, I just live right down the street from you. And we became pals. I guess that's the best word for it. And I invited him to church, and he had never, this struck me 
way back then, and it still does tonight when I think about it. But he, he had not been in church before. He didn't own a Bible. He had no clue what was in the Bible. And so I had invited him to church just as a young man, and he willingly came. This was incredibly new to him, and I know he had a thousand questions, and but we had invited him to church, and we took him for a few times, and he, he told me one day, he said, I want you to teach me the Bible. And I'm a 15-year-old kid. He says, I want you to teach me the Bible. I mean, what, what do you know when you're 50? I ask myself that now. What do I know at 64? But I mean, you know, you can study the Word and study the Word and still find out there's an ocean of stuff you don't know. And I can, I can remember, this, this was really neat back in the day, because in the particular neighborhood that we lived in, it was well lit, I'm sure, like the places you, we live in today. And I can remember that at the end of the street, there was this big hill, and there was a big pole light sitting right over the hill. And I can remember we would take the Bible, and we would go down to this hill, and I would tell him everything I knew. And that was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, and we would sit down there on that hill, and I would just talk the gospel to him. He couldn't get enough of it. He couldn't get enough of it. And I wish I knew then some of the things that I know now, but as he became more frequent in our church back in those days, one of the elderly uh, men in the church who was in charge of what was called the Servicemen for Christ, uh, it was in Petersburg, Virginia, and uh, he was uh, just a buddy to all of the servicemen that were stationed at Fort Lee. And I can remember a place downtown Petersburg that they called this mission type of building the Servicemen for Christ. And our church back in those days, we had buses that would go to the base. It was allowed back then. And any service personnel that wanted to come off base and go to the church, they were allowed to get on our bus and go. In fact, I will tell you this, that uh, one of the first ministries that Gail and I shared together when we first got married and just 18 years old was we drove a van route to the missionary base and brought them to this Servicemen for Christ Center. And there in that Servicemen for Christ Center, they would have lunch and they would have games where they would play and they would have fellowship. They would talk to them. Some of these guys in the military, they were far, far away from home and they had no families. And so this Servicemen for Christ just became an extended family to lots of military people. And I can remember the director of this ministry. I had introduced my friend to him, and I said, and, and I, I look back on it now, and I don't know why I didn't give him my Bible. I really don't. But I told this gentleman, Mr. Woolston, I'll never forget it. I said, uh, he's new in my neighborhood. He's been here at the church a couple of times, and he has no Bible. And I can remember, I mean, this he was a, he was a, a missionary that our church supported, and he took his Bible, and he must have had it for 40 years or more. I mean, 
you, you, can, you can look at a Bible. The, the one I have on my desk that I preached out of for I don't know how many years, it, the pages in it are, are torn. I have scotch tape just about, really, I'm not exactly, I have scotch tape just about on every page. And some pages in the Bible are missing paragraphs at the bottom where I've turned them so many times. It's just a tattered and torn Bible. And I can remember Mr. Woolston, he took his Bible, and it was a treasure to him. And he took it and he said, son, I want you to have it. Not to me, but to my friend. And he didn't know him from Adam. And he gave him his Bible. And I can remember that we got him in Sunday school. And again, his family was in the military. They were from Guam and traveling all over the world. I never knew what happened to him. But I know he got saved. And I know Mr. Woolston gave him his Bible. And whatever came out of that, I don't know. But I got to thinking about that story today and this whole experience. And this is what the Lord brought to my mind. I'm so thankful that we do have a Bible. Most of us have been here tonight. Most of us have been in this Bible for years. But there was a time in our life where we really didn't know anything about it. We, 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 didn't, we didn't have a clue. You couldn't name the books of the Bible if your life depended on. And, you, and I, I mean, you just didn't know. But somewhere along the line, somebody invested in you and taught you the gospel. When I read this scripture, for this cause was the gospel preached. That, that's significant to me because, as I mentioned Sunday in the message, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, that's what our church is all about, first and foremost the preaching of the gospel. But I'm so glad that we know or we found out at some point earlier in our life what the gospel was all about. Not only did we find out what the gospel was all about, but we found out what this Bible teaches about the soul. And as I've said hundreds of times from this pulpit in funeral services, whenever I've had the chance to preach, that all of us will be somewhere forever. And aren't you glad tonight that somewhere along the line, somebody took the time to invest in you, to teach you the gospel, and to teach you what the Bible says about your eternal soul? That, that was significant to me, because we all know, everybody in here tonight, there's, there's not one person in this auditorium tonight that I have a question about. You know, and I know, that death does not end all. And you have learned that through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel. And so we've got to keep eternity in our minds, especially when it's concerning our loved ones. But look at this passage again, if you will, please. The Bible says this, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged. And, and that's a word that I want to speak on just for a moment, and, and I want you to underline that. Judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Being dead in Christ, Paul said this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Being dead in Christ means that we will never suffer persecution, heartache ever again. I was talking to a pastor friend yesterday on the phone, and we got to talking about this subject, and he was telling me, he said, Brother Tony, I'm, I'm sorry that you're to hear that your father passed, and we got to talk. He's been here in the church many times, and we, we reminisced a little bit. His wife is just coming through a brain aneurysm. And there's a lot of people in the ministry that I know that are dealing with personal struggles and adversities. You know, every, every Sunday, I don't know if you see this or not, because I'm standing here and I can have a panoramic view, but every time that door opens and Sister Rose is wheeled in this door by her son or her daughter, I've said this many, many times. The COVID thing don't, doesn't fly anymore. If she can come, anybody can come. And I mean that. And when I see that door open and I see them roll her in here, and I know she's probably listening, watching tonight, I, I don't know what that does for you, but it does a lot of things for me because I know that there's been a lot of things going on behind the scenes that's made it possible for her to come in here. And there's a lot of suffering, perhaps, that goes on during the week that we never hear about. And she experiences those things. By the way, um, I got a message late this afternoon that Brother George Burnham had to go to the hospital, and he's got this problem in his leg, severe pain, and they don't know what's causing it. And there's so many people among us that hurt and suffer, but by God's grace, they're able to come in here. They, they, they roll in here. They hobble in here. Just, they just don't quit. And me and the pastor friend yesterday, we were talking about, thank God we know that there's coming a day when we're not going to suffer. And how do we know that? Because the Bible teaches that. And somewhere along the line, we learned this truth. And so being dead in Christ means we'll never suffer or be persecuted ever again. However, when you read the Scripture, to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. The judgment of believers, this, this verse took me into a lot of different directions. I want to say this because this verse does mentioned this thing might be judged. You know and I know, and let me refresh you tonight if you're not up to par with it, but there are three different types of judgments for the believer. One, we're judged as the sons of God. Let me give you the scripture here. I'm going to give you several tonight as time permits, but go with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. And I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, and I want to read for you, beginning in verse number 5 through 11. It says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And so, if you ever wanted to know what the evidence of salvation was, this is it. 
the evidence of salvation is being chastened of the Lord. Whenever we get sidetracked out of sorts with him, uh, off the path, the word is backslidden, cold and indifferent. When those kind of things creep into our life, the Holy Spirit's not just going to let us uh, wallow in that and be content and satisfied. He will do everything he can to reel us back, to woo us back, maybe even to weep us back. But the Bible says in verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. And so, again, there are three different types of judgments for believer, and one is the judgment as a son. The Scripture says in John chapter 1, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And when we are born again, that's exactly what we become. We become sons of God. We are judged in three different kinds of ways when we are adopted into his family. One is we are judged as sons. And look at this. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons or as his children, part of his family. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, see, this is the evidence of salvation. If you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then your bastards, not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. You know, I don't know how many of you got those old-fashioned country lickings from your folks. And I don't know how many times I heard my mother say, this is going to hurt me more than hurt you. I found out she lied. <laughs> but, I, but I think we can identify with that somewhat. Look at this. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for a profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. In verse number 11, now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joy, joyous. How true that is. But grievous. And it does hurt the Father. I believe it does prick his heart when, when it gets to this place. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So, Again, now, keep in mind, and I'm sharing with you my heart and my thoughts tonight as these scriptures leap off the pages and uh, come like a freight train without brakes in my world. And when I read this word judged, I wanted to bring that out tonight. So number one, we're judged as sons, sons of God. All right, so... Let me skip over a verse, and I want to give you the second point. Because not only are we judged as sons, but we're judged as servants. So go with me now to 1 Corinthians, if you will. 
And let's look at chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to call your attention to verse number 9, and I want to read through verse number 15. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now, if any man build upon his Upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. This is probably one of the best scriptures in the Bible that gives the assurance of eternal security. But he himself shall be saved. We might lose reward at the judgment seat, but we will not lose our salvation. But he himself shall be saved, so yet so as by fire. So, we're going to be judged as sons, we are judged as servants, and we're judged as saints. Let me show you something in 1 Corinthians 15. Turn to the right just a few pages, and let's look at this together as we study the Word this evening. Lots of scriptures coming our way. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 54, and the thing that, that I want you to get out of this passage is this, that being part of God's family, being adopted into his family, being part of his, his children, God's people are distinguished from lost people. And that's something that I want you to know. We are distinguished from lost people. And the word says this, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption. You see, lost people cannot say this. They cannot identify with this. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that is saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. A lost man has no victory. A lost man has no hope. When we stand at the graveside of our loved ones, we don't weep as people who have no hope. And so when you get back to this, this passage of Scripture here in 1 Peter 4, for this cause was the gospel preached to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So a believer has a threefold judgment. We're judged as sons, we're judged as servants, and we will be judged as saints. Now let's look at verse number 7 in 1 Peter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now, when I got to this passage in my study, so many things came to my mind as well. And, and here's one of the doctrines that was 
so so fluently being echoed around in Peter's day. And the believers in, in the first century, they were eagerly, eagerly, they anticipated the Lord's return, the return of Christ in their lifetime. That's significant. That's what they were being taught. That's what they believed. They believed that Christ was definitely going to come back in their lifetime. And, and you may not know this, and you might want to put a side note in your Bible or make a mental notation of this, but when Peter wrote this, again, let me read it again and keep this in mind. But the end of all things is at hand. When he wrote that, by this time when this scripture was penned, it had been 30 years since Jesus had ascended back to heaven. This is important. Do you remember 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus gathered his disciples to the Mount of Olives? You remember the words of the angel? You men of Galilee, while stand you here gazing up into heaven? So when Jesus ascended up into heaven, time has gone by. Peter has now matured. He's now writing these wonderful letters of Scripture. But keep in mind two things. One, people were believing at this point in time of Peter's ministry that Christ, his return was imminent. And we believe that. We believe that his return and is imminent now. I, I don't know about you, but I pray, I try to pray every morning, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. May this be the day of your glorious return. Because the scripture teaches us, blessed are they who watch and look for and long for the Lord's return. I don't know about you, but I'm longing for it. I'm watching for it. I would hope that it would be tonight. And in Peter's day, they really believed that the Lord would come back in their lifetime. But the second most important thing that I want you to remember is that while Peter is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit moving, Jesus had been ascended to the Father 30 years. You think about that, that he had been preaching the gospel. Now, Peter himself, he did not believe that Jesus this may come to a shock to some of you, but Peter did not believe that Jesus would come in his lifetime. Even though that was the fluent persuasion of many people, and I'm going to show you why. He did not believe that the Lord would come in his lifetime. So hold your place here and go back to John chapter 21 with me just for a moment. This is fascinating if you stay with the study. If you want to look closely at the Word, you want to learn something tonight, look at this. And these, if you have a red-letter edition in your Bible, always know that when you find the Scripture written in red that it's Jesus doing the talking. But in John chapter 21, and if you look in verse number 20, then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breath, breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And look at this. Jesus told Peter how he was going to die. 
This is incredible. Jesus said unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Now, Jesus went on to say that Peter, listen, you got a work to do. You stick, you stick by me. You, you preach the gospel. You serve me and serve me well. But Peter knew Jesus was not returning in his lifetime because Jesus had told him that he was going to die. So when Peter is writing the scripture, he remembers what the Lord told him, that you're going to face a horrible death. You're going to face crucifixion, just like me. And so Peter, he realizes, obviously, that that time has not come. But Notice, notice this in verse 7, but the end of all things, in, in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. All right? And so Peter knew at this point that his death was going to be soon. Jesus had predicted, I don't want to use the word predicted, Jesus had foretold that. And so let me show you another, another scripture here. In 2 Peter, turn over to the right just a little bit here. In 2 Peter, let's look at chapter 1 and verse number 14. And so Peter gives us this, this glowing testimony about his soon departure as well. And he says this in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 14, knowing that shortly I, he's speaking of himself, he said, I must put off this tabernacle. He was saying, I am soon going to die. My time is soon approaching, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ had showed me. Jesus had declared it to him. But the point being is that Peter continues to admonish the believers to watch for the Lord's return. And that's something that I've spent a lifetime teaching you as well, to watch, to be sober, to be waiting, to be longing for the Lord's return. In fact, Paul said it this way in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, just a couple of more minutes we have here tonight, but look again, there's another word in 1 Peter 4.7, and that's the word sober. What does that word mean? You come across it occasionally in the Scripture. What does that mean? It means to think and act discreetly. That's what this passage means. It means to use good judgment. When the word's talking about be sober, it's talking about think discreetly to use good judgment. And so Peter, he encourages his fellow believers here to watch and pray. Something, by the way, that he had terribly and miserably failed to do. So many times when I read this, I can see Peter as perhaps as the Holy Spirit is giving him inspiration. Maybe, just maybe, his hand pauses from writing. And maybe he looks to his right or he looks to his left and he begins to ponder these words that the Spirit of God is giving him to watch and pray, and maybe Peter even laid down his pen and said, man, I can remember when the Lord told me to watch and pray and how I failed him miserably. 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, Jesus said this, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we all know this, that from the time Jesus spoke those words, a few short hours later, Peter had tragically denied the Lord. Now, I want to close by saying two things tonight and try to remember this. If you want to write something down from the word tonight, write this down. Watching, because we're talking about what Jesus said, watch and pray. Watching sights the enemy. When you watch, you can see what's going on all around you and you can stay focused with that. That's why the Bible says be vigilant, be sober because of your adversary. And why? Because the word says that he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So remember this, watching sights the enemy. Jesus said watch and pray. Get this now. Watching sights the enemy. But praying fights the enemy. Let me say that one more time. Watching sights the enemy. But praying fights the enemy. Jesus said, watch and pray. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.